Well, hello there. Leave it, leave it to Steve Besner to host so hosp- hospitably while with COVID and not in the room. Thanks to HNW and to Glocalnet for a lovely meal. It is so good to see your faces. It's been 18 months since we've been in the room together. 18 months ago, a, a friend of mine, Isaac Anderson, was with us, and that feels like a lifetime ago for those that were in that room with us. And a few things have happened since then. Uh, we, we have together navigated a pandemic. We've learned how to, to lead through online church. We have, we have dealt with racial tension being brought to the fore. We have gone through an intense election season. We have navigated masks and vaccines and tough conversations. Simply put it, nothing to it, right, as a leader? We're all just feeling like we've been carried along. It's been easy. You know, in all the chaos and all the learning and all the challenges, it's good to come back into this room and to remember that the mission remains the same and that the mission is moving forward and that this network of networks is together for the, this purpose of seeing our city saturated in the gospel as Steve said, that we would see every man and woman and child have multiple opportunities to see and to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, the King on the throne. We're for that. And we believe that it happens through the multiplication of churches, and we believe that happens through the strengthening of church planters, which is why we're here. And I'm proud to report that the mission has continued to march forward through all of the chaos. I want to invite up if, if you've launched recently in the midst of this season, if you're a church planner who's launched recently, come on up. I know that we have, I think, at least four in the room, and we may have a slide with their names. So Mac from City West, and Juan from Mosaic, and Drew from Sojourn Oak Forest, Kyle from Third Coast. Go ahead and come on down. And if your name should have been on that slide and wasn't, please make your, your way down as well. You guys, come on up. Come on up. Um, so I just, yeah, you can, you can do it. Come on. Uh, I just want you to see these guys' faces, see their names, the names of their churches. Um, these, these are men of tremendous courage and conviction and faith that have, in the midst of significant headwinds, continued to press forward and have launched out and are in the process of planting churches as we speak and doing so really beautifully and faithfully. I've, I've had the great privilege of getting to watch that and, and hear those stories. And so we just wanna take a moment to pray over these men and what they represent, this mission that we're on that is continuing to march forward. And so the way that we're gonna do this, I'm gonna ask that you would extend a hand out towards them uh, as a statement of we're, we're putting hands on these men. You see their names and the names of their churches. And I'm gonna ask that for a moment, we're, we're all gonna pray aloud simultaneously to wash them over with our prayers as they lift up to God. And we're asking God's richest blessings on this mission as it continues to move forward amidst the chaos. So if you would, please join me and let's pray. I'll close this in just a moment. Yes, God, we're begging, trusting, asking that you, the faithful God who is on high, seated above all of the the chaotic realities of the world, that nothing we have experienced over the last 18 months has been a surprise to you. Nothing has overwhelmed you. Nothing has derailed your purposes. You are God on high and we rejoice in that. I thank you that these men have been so touched by your grace and are so confident of your authority that they have stepped out in courage and conviction and that they, God, are doing a beautiful work. We pray that you would be the wind in their sails. We pray that you would equip us as a community that is HCPN to encourage and to support them as they continue on this good work that you've called them to. So God, I'm I'm just asking rich blessings over Mac and over Kyle and over Drew and over Juan. And we are all together in agreement, God, asking that many men and women and children would come to saving faith, that communities would be renewed, that these communities would grow strong and be a beautiful gospel witness in their particular neighborhoods, that you give these men dreams and visions and creativity and authority to step into your calling for their lives. We rejoice in advance for the ways that you hear us and are going to answer. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. Please 
go with these men in power. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, would you guys give these, give these guys a round of applause? Thanks, guys. You can take a seat. So, so one thing all four of these guys have in common is that they did residencies with us at HCPN. And uh, if you don't know, that's something that we do around here. It's collaborative training, the whole city coming together, the, the gifts of quality leaders and church planners, pastors from all across the city pouring into the hearts of young and gifted entrepreneurial leaders in the city. And, and this year, uh, there's been some renaming as we've been working under the hood in the midst of COVID. So what was previously our functional residency is now the foundational residency. So the foundational residency is for those that are considering church planning. They think maybe I'm two or three, four years out. I'm discerning a call there. We're kicking off at the start of September and we're still taking applications. So you've got a, a week longer. If that's you or someone you know, please connect them with us. The application is, uh, uh, is available online if through, through HCP and we can connect you. It's a nine-month residency. We look forward to investing in the next wave of church planners. So please continue to send them our way. Now, it's my great, uh, great privilege as, as I hand it off to introduce to you someone that you probably needs no introduction, but uh, we, we, many of us refer to him as the Bruce. Uh, this is Bruce Wesley, the founding and, and senior pastor at Clear Creek Community Church, as well as the founder and the president of the Houston Church Planning Network. Uh, Bruce is going to tell us a little bit more about the vision of HCPN. Thanks, Bruce. Thank you, Jeremiah. I didn't know anyone ever called me the Bruce. That's, uh, that's cool. Guys, it is, and gals, it's uh, great to see you in this room. It has, uh, it's been just too long. Uh, thank you, Houston Northwest, all of you who volunteered to help today happen and staff people who helped today happen. Really, it's a gift to all of us and to the work that we're doing in this city. You know, this church has been a, uh, a huge player in what we're doing uh, through HCPN. So uh, my role is to tell you why we're in the room, and I'm guessing some of you know why we're in the room, because you've been in this room, or at least one like this, with us a lot of times. I'm curious, how many of you are new to uh, HCPN? Can I just see your hands? I know it's like church, right? Yeah. All right. We're so grateful you guys are here, and gals, uh, grateful that you're here to be a part of today, and part of what I'm going to do with you is to help you understand why we're here, what we do, what we're all about, uh, introduce ourselves a little bit. And uh, for the rest of you who have been in a room like this so often with us, I'm going to throw you some red meat, okay? So we need some of that, right? Uh, especially with what's been going on around us, we need to be reminded of who we are, what we're about. And uh, it's kind of a, a fresh call to, to be about it all over again in a fresh way. So, why are we here? Our resurrected Lord and King Jesus commissioned us to go and to make disciples of all nations. And he gave us a vision to plant a church, many of you. And then you planted your church and you realized that's not going to cut it. It's not enough to plant a church. I can't plant a church and, and reach the world. And so we are awakened to the fact that when we plant churches, and we commit to multiplication. We, we put our vision in hyperdrive. And our hope for transformation of this city is about multiplying disciples and groups and churches and networks. We're about multiplication. And good news, by God's providential hand, he has put all of us in the same geography, greater Houston, Houston, 9 million people by 2035, growing by more than a mega church every week, the most ethnically diverse city in all of America with more than a million foreign-born citizens. According to Steven Kleinberg, some of you know this research, uh, Houston is the city that will lead the way in the ethnic future of America that what Houston is going to be looking like in about two years, three years, is what America is gonna be looking like in 20 years. And God put us together in this greater Houston area and gave us an assignment that's too big for us. He gave us an assignment that's too big for the almost 40 mega churches in our city. And it's an assignment that's too big for the 40 best churches in our city. It's going to require 
an ever-growing number of hundreds of churches in the greater Houston area catching a vision to multiply churches who will love and serve their way into every dark corner of our city. Churches that will multiply in a way that means we're not trying to take the city like this herd of elephants. We are an infestation of mice. We are this people who realize it's gonna take local congregations all over our city with a commitment to be ever-present and always multiplying. And we need each other. We so desperately need each other. I need you and you need me if we're gonna be a part of what God is doing to transform the city. We need each other in our diversity and we wanna celebrate the diversity that we enjoy. And we need each other in our various geographies with our various giftedness and very different personalities. And we need each other in all of the sameness, the sameness that brings us together with a passion. Listen, what I know about you if you're a church planter is that Jesus did a work in you that has, he caused you to believe that you could actually gather some people and start a church, a church which is the most amazing thing that God could place in a community a healthy, thriving local church with a healthy, thriving leader who wants to multiply that church in the community as well. We need each other for that. We need to meet at the gospel. The gospel of Jesus needs to be the, the profound connector for all of us. And so, we're the tip of the spear. I mean, really. We're the tip of the spear in the work that God is doing in advancing his kingdom. And the work that we do is hard. And that's why we need each other. Because navigating seasons like this one, I mean, Jeremiah was cutting up about how easy it's been. And, uh, and we know, man, we're tired. Wouldn't you love to have another conversation about masks and vaccines? I mean, we get in this room together we pray together, we feel the missional intensity from one another, and we're reminded that I don't have to be tired out. I can get fired up. I can get fired up about what God originally called me to do and get a vision for what's on the other side of the junk that we're going through so that we together can be about something that we will talk about in heaven. How much do you get to do that kind of stuff? So church planners, let me say to you, you're not crazy. I know you feel crazy sometimes, but you are doing vital kingdom advancement. So hang in there, stay focused. You are planting and cultivating. God alone gives the increase, rest in him. You just keep doing what you're doing and our faithful God is gonna give you a kind of fruit that you will marvel at. I've been at Clear Creek Community Church for 28 years and some of you, because you know, you've been at our place a lot with coaching and all that stuff and you, you're amazed that the church survived with me as the leader and you're also amazed that I know so little about what's going on there, right? And what I'm amazed at is how many incredible stories there are of life change that I get to hear day in and day out. In the earliest days, I wept tears because it was so bad. It was so very bad. And yet today, I hear all these stories of this marvelous stuff that God's doing all around me. And I'm thinking, I didn't even know that person. And they've been so instrumental in seeing all these people come to Jesus or be made a disciple. God's gonna give that fruit. Just be faithful, hang in there. You know, we are here because the God of heaven includes us in his amazing redemptive plan in this geography, but it is too big for us. We need each other. So let's not stop. Let's, let's keep the fire going. 
Let's pray big, faithful, urgent prayers that God would transform this city because that's why we're here. And here's what we're gonna do. If you're new around here, we talk about the mission of HCPN this way. We say HCPN is a network of networks. You heard Steve Besner talk about the network that they're a part of. Uh, the church that I pastor is a part of a different network, as is the churches of many of the people in the room. So we don't share everything in common. We're a big tent group. We're, we have this understanding that we can be a part of different networks and still we learn from each other and we need each other and we support and cheer for each other. So we're this network of networks and here's why we exist, to strengthen church planters. Let me stop right there and say it again. We do what we do to strengthen church planters. But the kind of strength that we pray that God will bring about in the lives of church planters is the kind of strength that will move them to be a multiplier. Because it's not enough. The one church that we plant is not enough. So we want to be strengthening church planters to multiply churches to reach every man, woman, and child in the greater Houston area. Our strategy goes like this. If you're new around here, the gathering that you were just a part of is, uh, it's a similar format that we're doing today, but typically we'll come together and we hope to inspire church planters. Why? Because this work is hard and we pray together for the sake of the city. Because when we pray together, our hearts are melded together. When we pray together, we, we become one more when we pray together. And we foster collaboration. So we're working hard to connect people in a network somewhere and then for our networks to, to cooperate with each other so that all across the city, the body of Christ is planting churches and supporting one another and seeing the kingdom advance. And then we do residencies. So Jeremiah mentioned the beginning residency that we do, which is known as the foundational residency. And then we do a finishing residency, which is intended for those who are about to launch a church. And uh, if you were a part of a finishing residency in this room, would you stand up, please? If you've been a part of the classes of finishing residencies, go ahead and stand up, guys, so all these people can see who you are. So if you don't mind, stand for a second. So, so I want you to bear witness to this fact. When I met each one of these classes, here's the first thing I say to them. Listen, we're so grateful for you, but we didn't choose you because you're gonna plant a church. Because planting a church is important, but we chose you because we believe that you are a multiplier, that you're gonna plant a church and you're gonna raise up leaders who plant churches, who will raise up leaders and plant churches, because if we're gonna have a vision to reach a city, that's what it's gonna take. Not just planting churches, but multiplying leaders who will plant churches. And these people right here are multipliers. And I get chills when I think about how God has already used them and how God is gonna use them in the future. Thank you guys, have a seat. So some of the things that we're working on with, uh, within HCPN that I, I really wanna call attention to and uh, then I'll sit down. One of those things is that for the last five months or so, I've uh, been working behind the scenes, uh, Chad and a, a group of people, to really prepare HCPN to work with local churches to help tailor your participation in the work of multiplying churches. Now, the reason that's important is because all of our contributions won't look the same. In some of our churches, we may have a lot of resources and other churches may have opportunity. Uh, there's, there's a ton of ways that you can be involved in multiplying churches, but what does that look like? And, and sure, if, if this is all new to you, it may be helpful, it will be helpful to have someone coach you along and, and show you how you can participate in a meaningful way. Um, we're gonna work in the future focusing on more and more uh, different regions around the city 
There are a lot of different networks. Some of them are geographical. Some of them are denominational. Some of them are church-based networks. Some of them are big tent kind of uh, formal networks like Dave Ferguson leads, like I'm a part of as well. And, uh, and so all these different things, we wanna see the regional networks begin to get traction so you have personal relationship that goes deep. And then we hope to move from 120 plus churches today to 400 churches in the next five years. Why is that? Because we wanna saturate the city with the gospel of Jesus. That's the whole thing behind it. We wanna saturate the city with the gospel of Jesus. We've learned that one of the things that church planters really need for the long haul is ongoing encouragement and coaching. So we started a, another residency for those who have already planted churches, and it's called the Fortifying Cohort. Uh, the Fortifying Cohort. Fortifying Cohorts, as the slide shows you here, are open to uh, all planters and pastors within Houston Church Planting Network. They're designed for pastors to connect to one another, to get soul care, but also to help you think critically and develop your strategic leadership to go from launching to sustaining to growing to multiplying. Notice, it meets once a month from September to May with a January overnight. And this all kicks off in September as well. So listen, pastors, if you think it'd be great to get together with some uh, you know, people who are experiencing the same kind of missional intensity you have, but maybe they have some more experience or they can help, help you think about strategic direction or help you nurture your own soul, then you're invited to participate in a fortifying residency. So you can snap the QR code, uh, go ahead and do what you need to do to register and you'll be contacted about that. All right. Well, thank you for your patience with that. Being in a room, I've said this to you before, being in a room with church planters is similar to being in a room with just big leaders. You know, you just feel it. You just feel the energy in the room. And um, what we're about to get to experience is only gonna fuel that fire in you. Dave Ferguson is an award-winning author. He's the founding and lead pastor of Chicago's uh, Community Christian Church, a, a missional multi-site community. Most of you know that what we've experienced in the United States with the multi-site movement has been significant. Dave, talk about the tip of the spear. There's probably on one hand or less the number of churches that have led like his church has led in this, this movement. Dave is also the visionary for the international church planting movement, the New, uh, New Thing Network, and he's the president of the Exponential Conference. But here's, here's the thing. Dave, Dave's a big deal. Um, but I've known Dave for a decade, and I have I've seen up close and personal how he shows honor to his wife, how he loves and is engaged with his kids. I've watched him cheer for other leaders in the room, and he is genuinely a humble and generous follower of Jesus. He's not just a big deal. He's, he's the real deal. And so uh, y'all have been a little quiet today, but I want you to give him a big man-sized Texas welcome. It's going to feel like a big hug. Would you do that? This is Dave Ferguson. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. I think you read that exactly the way I wrote it, so thank you very much. That was outstanding. No. Hey, it is good to be here, and um, I'm kind of with Bruce. Anytime I get a chance to be in the room with church planners, I mean, it's like an adrenaline rush. So thank you, thank you for being here. And we should, um, I think we have to hear from everybody except for Chad Clarkson. And Chad's kind of, the, he's kind of the brains behind the outfit and makes things happen. Let's give Chad a little love and all of HCPN. Woo! How about it? Um, when I was talking to Chad, one of the things I want to talk to you about, I want to talk about how to create a culture of multiplication. I think that's really important, especially for the moment we're in right now. But I'll tell you what, as I was going over my notes, because I always kind of like to practice in the hotel room and, you know, show up and do my best, um, I really just felt like a prompting to kind of start with something a little bit different. And um, 
Here's where I'll go, and I, I shared a little bit of this with the, with the network leaders earlier. Now, last week, it was uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, um, I spent three whole days, we called it Dream Week at New Thing, which is our church planning network. And we have um, about 380-some networks around the world. And so I literally got to talk to folks like you that are church planners, love church planning, and network leaders really all over the world. I mean, Africa, India, Australia, Western Europe, North America, South America. And I think by God's kind of, just His grace, I really felt like He kind of gave me a snapshot of what's happening in the global church. And, and it won't be a surprise to you, but a couple of observations. One is, the whole church around the world has been impacted dramatically by COVID. Dramatically. A couple impressions, though. The leaders in the East, while they're impacted by it, um, I think that's been the only thing that's impacted them. And I think because they've been through so many other things of like poverty and, and war and those kind of things, they're, they're, they've already been kind of through a, a leadership boot camp that many of us, myself included, we haven't experienced. And so I'm happy to report that in the East, I mean, the church is thriving, it's growing, it's multiplying, it's movement, it is happening in an awesome way. As I talk to leaders in the West, and again, I don't think this is any knock on us, and I'm talking about in Australia and, and Western Europe and then also here in the United States. Here's what I get. There is a, um, not only did we have to fight COVID, but particularly I go now here in the States, and it's already been acknowledged, we, we, had, we went through a racial reckoning that we had to address, needed to be addressed. We went through one of the most divisive presidential campaigns. There was a lot of economic uncertainty in the middle of that. And then on top of that, when we, you know, we finally come back to church, if Kerry Newhoff is right, he said only about 70% of the folks in, in rural communities are coming back, and it's more like 40 or 50% in urban and suburban communities. And so when I talk to leaders, particularly here, church pastors I'm talking about in the West, you could tell it, where there was a resiliency kind of in the East, here it's just, it, you could feel the weariness and people are distracted. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I kind of felt like I just need to acknowledge that and I, that we kind of have, because if you're showing up here and you're feeling a little weary or a lot weary and distracted from what we're talking about here, I get it. I mean, I'm pastor of church. It, would you say, this, this is about as hard a time, we've been doing this for a long time, Bruce. This is, I would say this is the hardest leadership season I've ever been through. So I'll tell you what, here's what I'd love for you to do. I want you to pick one other person. Pick one other person. Just extend a hand to that person. And you're going to pray a prayer, okay? Just extend a hand to one other person. Find someone else in the room. I don't care. You may not even know them. Just pick somebody near you. Extend a hand towards them, all right? You don't have to touch them if you don't want to. That's not <laughs> just extend a hand, okay? And what I want you to do is I want, I want you to pray, okay? And here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for, for resiliency and focus, you pray for a resiliency like we see in the, the, those leaders there. Because I think this is our boot camp. And I think when we get on the other side of this, what we go through, there is going to be a breakthrough. And the hard part is we just got to get through it together. And we got to be resilient. We got to stay focused. And I'm acknowledging it's going to be hard and it still is hard. Does that make sense? So let's go to God right now. Ask him for a supernatural kind of resiliency. Ask him for the ability to focus. And that all of us, we're just, you know what? God, I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up. All right, here we go. Father God, we're praying right now for one another. And Lord, as I lead this prayer, I do. I ask that you give a, a, a supernatural resiliency. I ask that for each leader here, that when they wake up in the morning, for some reason, there's just kind of like, they, they find the ability to jump out of bed and go after it, like they did back in 2019 and 18. Lord, I ask for the kind of resiliency that I saw in the, the, the leaders in the East. I'm thinking about the, the, these church planters in Cameroon, who because they heard gunshots from the Civil War, they actually, so they could meet with us, they, they actually went to a parking garage to get on a Zoom call because they were not going to be distracted from this, 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 this call of multiplication and, and church planning. Lord, give us that kind of focus. Give us that kind of resiliency. Lord, we know you can do that. We see it happening in other parts of the world. We see it happen throughout church history. Lord, maybe this is our boot camp. And if this is our boot camp, Lord, train us up. Let us get through this boot camp. Let us get on the other side. And Lord, let other, other church leaders be inspired by what we're doing in the West. 
Lord, I ask that you give that to us. I ask for just a special anointing on this. Encouragement, strength, resiliency, and focus. I ask for this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, I'll tell you, that's what we need. That's what we need, all right? All right, now I'm trusting God to give that to you. And if you got that, okay, if we have a resiliency and we have a focus, the thing that we need to be focused on is exactly what, I mean, Steve and Jeremiah and Bruce were talking about. We got to get back focused on multiplication. And I know it's hard because you know, the numbers aren't quite showing up. You're trying to make sure you make budget, all those kind of things. But let's remember why we got in this thing. We did not get in this thing to kind of fill a room, right? We did not get in this thing to kind of make sure we made a budget. We got in this thing to help people find and follow Jesus. And we know, reminder, we know that brand new churches, brand new churches will help three to four times as many people find and follow Jesus as do established churches 10 years age of or older. Did you know that? Let me say that again. Hope some conviction rises up in you. Brand new churches, brand new churches will see three to four times as many people find and follow Jesus as do churches 10 years of age or older. That's why Bruce is so fired up about brand new churches because he knows they're going to do things that Clear Creek will never get to do. We all have our day. And what we need to be doing is always thinking about the next generation, the next one, the next one, the next one. So let's talk about this idea of creating a culture of multiplication. Um, how do we do that? And here's why culture, that's why I wanted to emphasize that this morning, why culture is so important. Culture, I think, is for you as a leader, your single greatest asset. Why is that? Why is it your greatest? Because it works 24-7. Culture never rests. What culture does is culture continually reinforces the values that you have as a church or as an organization. That's what culture does. Now, when we talk about culture, I want to give you a definition here. And I remember this, is, this goes back years ago. I remember hearing Erwin McManus talk. Is that a a conference uh, down in Southern California, and he, and he gave us this definition, and I've held on to it. He said culture is this. Culture is the spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. Culture is the spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. Let me, let me give you an example of what, what it looks like, the power of multiplying culture. So, for example, um, I want to tell you about Doug. Doug's a guy who, um, every Saturday night, he would come to our Saturday night service, and he would sit way back in the back. Sir, way back in the back, you've got the yellow hat on. He can't even see me. He's, he's taking notes. Wave, wave your hand back there. Everybody turn around and look at Doug. Everybody see him? Wave your hand, Doug. That's Doug back there, okay? That's where Doug would always sit every Saturday night. And I would get to about this part in the middle of my message, and Doug would get up and walk out of the room. And it was really kind of annoying and a little distracting. But every Saturday, he would show up, sit in the back, and get up and walk out in the middle of the service, the middle of my talk. Finally, I got up the courage to ask him one time. What I found out was that, he, but was that they opened up tea times about 5 o'clock every Saturday. So he'd get up so he could go out and get his good tea time for Saturday, Sunday morning. All right, that was, thank you very much, Doug. That was his level of commitment to what we were doing. So he lived in our neighborhood. And I remember... Um, there was like a big party in, in, in one of the parks nearby. And uh, my wife Sue and I, we were walking this way towards, towards this big party that everybody's having there, outdoor party in the middle of summer. And, and Doug and Mary were walking this way. And um, we saw them coming and they saw us coming. And Sue was excited to see Mary, who she kind of knew. And Mary was excited to see Doug. And I knew Doug. But you could tell <laughs> Doug was not excited to see me. He was kind of like, no, I don't really want to go talk to the pastor. But Mary was you know, just kind of, you know, so he kept moving. So we ended up kind of meeting there. We're talking, talking, talking. And in the middle of the conversation, my wife Sue says to Mary, hey, why don't you join our small group? You guys should come to our group. We have a group. It's a parenting group. We had kids about the same age. And Mary, of course, says what? We would love to, right? And you can see it on Doug's face. He's going, oh, crap. Right? We would love to. And uh, so they started coming to our small group, our parenting group. Um, Doug wouldn't even call it small group. He would call it class. I go to class every Tuesday night. I go to class. That's what he'd call it. He didn't want anything to do with it. Um, but in the middle of going to be a part of our parenting group there, after, oh, I don't know what it was, it was probably a couple months, um, he started to become friends with some of the folks in the group. You know how it works, right? And he kind of started liking them. And they started liking him. But I, he had no intentions of really doing any more of this kind of crazy stuff. Well, we got the end of the, about two, two months. I was into the, actually in the, the first session that we had together. And um, I don't recommend you do this, 
But in front of the whole group, and I kind of got to know Doug well enough I could do this, I said, hey, you know what? Um, we can't really keep this group going unless I have an apprentice leader. I need an apprentice leader that I'm going to invest in so we can reproduce this group eventually. And I'll tell you what, unless, uh, and I just pointed, unless Doug, you'll be my apprentice, I don't know if we can keep going. <laughs> he's a big, tall guy, bald head, kind of, kind of like, and he just got like, beads of sweat. You can see it popping on his head. There's, ah. Well, I could do this to Doug, and he agreed to be my apprentice leader. So he agreed to be my apprentice leader, and uh, we would start meeting every Tuesday at Starbucks at 4 o'clock. Every Tuesday, Starbucks at 4 o'clock, we'd meet, and we'd have kind of a one-on-one, -on -one, talk about the group, talk about what's going on, spirit, our spiritual lives, and, and get ready for the group, and we would kind of lead the group together. I remember the first time we met there, the first time we, got, we met there, uh, Doug comes in, he sits down, he says, well, if I'm your apprentice leader of this small group, I guess I ought to read the Bible. I said, yeah, that's probably a good idea, <laughs> Doug. And he said, well, well, how do you do that? And so I showed him, I said, well, here's how I do it. And I showed him how I, I usually read one chapter a day, and I talked, showed him how I journal, and pretty soon Doug started reading one chapter a day and started journaling. And so we just kept doing that. We kept meeting Starbucks, and we'd talk about our spiritual life, talk about family. We became friends. We're really good friends now. And um, after about a year of doing that, I came to him and I said, you know what, I think you're ready. I think you're ready to lead a group. And he kind of smirked. He said, yeah, I think I'm ready too. So he actually took over that group and I went and led a brand new group. And we reproduced the groups, multiplied them. What was funny though, was about two weeks later after we'd start, he, he took over the existing group and I went and started a brand new group that I stopped in that Starbucks there on a Tuesday and it was right around four o'clock. And when I walked in, sitting at the same table, that Doug and I always sat at, guess who was sitting there? It was Doug and his brand new apprentice, Brad. He went and got an apprentice. Now here's the thing, I want you to get this. I, don't I, I know for a fact he never went through any class about apprenticeship. I know for a fact he never went through a seminar or a course or anything, you know, didn't do anything like that. And I don't remember, I'm sure I must have at some point, but I don't remember actually telling him, oh, you have to have an apprentice. But somehow he just kind of picked it up. Does that make sense? He got like enculturated into it. Doug was what I would call um, unconsciously competent. <laughs> he was good. He didn't even know why he was good. Now, I tell you that story, and here's why. Because when you create a culture of multiplication, people just kind of get enculturated into it. He, he, he didn't really grow up in a church, uh, at least a real, real strong church experience. So this was like really the first time he'd been a part of a church. And so he just thought everybody did it that way. That anybody who ever got in any kind of a leadership, if you did something, you had to have someone you were investing in that was going to be an apprentice so you could reproduce it and multiply it. He thought everybody did it that way. He was unconsciously competent. See, that's what culture is right there. Culture is spontaneous, repeated patterns of behavior. Give me a little nod if you're with me on that. That's what it is, spontaneous. And so the question is, okay, what we just saw there with myself and Doug and then Doug and Brad, how do we get that to happen over and over and over again at every level? So I'm going to be really specific about this because I think this is the kind of stuff you can take back to your churches and you can actually begin to do this because you're going like, okay, we prayed for resiliency, we prayed for focus. This is what I got to be focused on because this is the stuff, this is why I got in this game to begin with. So let me give you this. If that's the definition, here are the three components that make up a strong multiplying culture. The three components that make up a strong multiplying culture are these. Number one is values. Say it after me, values. values. I want it to sink in. Number two is narrative. narrative. And the third one, say it after me, behaviors. Behavior. So you got value, narrative, and behaviors. Now we talk about values, okay? The values, the values in your church are, are two things. They're the convictions of your mind, okay? The things you know are right, the things you know are true, the things that are consistent with God's word. And when it comes to multiplications, things like Acts 1-8, that I know from Acts 1-8 that Jesus' vision for the church was going to start in Jerusalem and go to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That his vision for the church was that it was not just kind of an organization that you outsource your spirituality to, but what it was was supposed to be a movement that was going to change the world for all of eternity. A movement. 
Your convictions, okay, the convictions of the mind based on Scripture are 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The discipleship needs to be multiplied up to the fourth generation. The convictions of your mind, that's the values. It's not just the convictions of your mind, it's also the passions in your heart. Because your values, yes, are the things you know are true, but it's also the things you will stay up late night talking about. It's the reason you're here, okay, in the middle of the day on a Wednesday. Because this is the thing you want to have happen. It's not just a job where you get a check. This is a calling on your life. That's what you know are values. And you love this stuff. So first of all, you have the values. Conviction your mind, passion your heart. But the second part to make up culture, and you have to have all three of these, the second part is what we call narrative. If you want to create culture, you want to create that kind of spontaneous, multiplying culture, you hold the values, but you also, okay, are responsible for the narrative. Narrative has two parts. Narrative is both language and story. Language and story. So let's start with story. It's stories. Like the reason I told you the story about Doug, because that helps you, okay, all of a sudden it goes, it goes from here to here, going, oh, that's how it works, from your head to your heart. Stories do that. I can tell you the story about our, our global director for New Thing, Patrick O'Connell. Patrick O'Connell is the guy who really is leading the charge now. We have 388 networks in 40 different countries. We helped plant almost 1,000 churches last year. The guy who's leading that about 13 years ago wasn't even a believer. Quickly, his story, okay, and this helps create culture. His story was that he, the first time he came to community was because his wife had been invited by a friend. She started finding her way back to God, and she said yes to Jesus and wanted to be baptized. And so just to be a good husband, she said, hey, will you come watch me be baptized? And he didn't want to be in the doghouse, so he comes to watch her be baptized. But in the middle of watching her being baptized, he, he experiences something that, that Sunday. So he decides to go on his own journey. And really, I mean, like a full-on like C.S. Lewis investigation. He's going to check this thing out. He joins a small group. He asks all his questions. He's hammering those people. And he finally comes to the place where he says, you know what, Jesus was who he said he was. And he gets baptized. As, he, as Patrick, literally, literally he's still wet. He's coming up out of the baptistry. And the guy that baptizes is a guy named Scott Patton. As Scott had just baptized, he's coming out of the water. Scott says to him, he says, you know what, Patrick? You'd be a great apprentice leader. Would you be my apprentice leader? <laughs> he's still toweling off from being baptized. And he says, yeah, I'll do it. He goes from being an apprentice leader. Check this out. He's apprenticed into that. Eventually a leader in a small group. Eventually he multiplies other groups. He gets apprenticed to be a coach. You're familiar with the leadership path, right? Next thing you know, a guy from our church is moving to Kansas City to start a new church. Patrick, who's in wealth management, actually sells his house, actually raised his own support, predominantly from Jewish partners to go plant a church in Kansas City. <laughs> he goes and plants that church in Kansas City. It goes to multiple locations, plants other churches. We need somebody back in Chicago to now lead a new thing that's growing like crazy. I call Troy. And I say, hey, Troy, how about Patrick coming and bring back to Chicago? He says, let's do it. And now Patrick is leading, is leading that whole church planting network. And again, I tell you that story, right, you kind of shake your head like, wow, that's crazy. I tell you that story because that's apprenticeship, that's multiplication. And that narrative, doesn't that narrative, you're going, it, it kind of reinforces your conviction about how important this is. Because here's, here's the thing. Every one of you, every one of us, what am I saying? You got Patrick sitting in your chairs. You got Patrick sitting in your chairs, sitting in your pews. So again, the narrative is you have to tell the stories. You have to tell the stories. But the second thing that narrative is, it's story, but it's also language. You start hanging around these guys here and some of the other folks here. I saw a whole bunch of new hands. You start hanging around here. You're going to hear a different kind of speak, a different kind of language around multiplication. You're going to hear about leadership residency. You're going to hear maybe about apprenticeship. You're going to hear, it's, there's a different kind of, um, just way they talk. And strong cultures have that. Strong cultures have a different speak. Um, for example, um, I'm, in, I'm in Chick fil A country here, right? Okay, all right. We, we just got them in Chicago. It's only, well, I guess it's been six or seven years now, but so it's not been too long by comparison. Um, so when you go to Chick fil A and you order your chicken sandwich and your waffle fries, right? 
and they hand it to you, and then you say, thank you very much, help me out here, what do they say back to you? That's exactly right. Everybody knows, right? Let's try it again. What do they say to you? That's exactly right. My pleasure. They, they say, why do they say that? Now, I might be wrong with this. My assumption was that they trained him to say that. My son actually worked at Chick-fil-A, and he went through their training, not for long, but just while he's in high school and stuff. And so I even asked him, I said, did they teach everybody to say my pleasure? And he was like, no, it's kind of like everybody just starts doing it. That's what happens with a strong culture. And if, and if you want something kind of fun, okay, here's a game for you. When you go to Chick-fil-A, see how many times you can get them to say, my pleasure. <laughs> so far, the record is 14. So if anybody, I'll give you my email address if you want. That's the record so far. You can follow, so you can beat that. 14 times in one trip to Chick-fil-A. The point, though, is this, okay? If you're talking about what are the components that make up a strong culture, there's the values that you have to hold, conviction in your mind, passion in your heart, but there's also, okay, the narrative, which is you have to tell the stories of reproducing and multiplying, and you'll get a lot of them from here, and then you'll start having your own. There's also a unique language, a unique language. But then here's the third part, and this is going to be important. The third part is this, are the behaviors. Are the behaviors. Now, please tune in on this part. If there is not a consistency from you as the leader in the values, narratives, and behaviors. If those things don't have integrity, that's where, that's where churches have, have historically gotten in trouble. Because here's what, what will happen. If we hold the values, right, and if we speak the narrative, but we do not actually implement and live out the behaviors, what you accidentally do or implicitly do is you create a culture that says, Around here, all you have to do is hold the values and talk about it. You don't actually have to do the stuff. You know why? Because the guy on front doesn't even do the stuff. All he does is hold the values. All he does is, is talk about it, gives, tell stories and language. And I think one of the places where churches have always gotten in trouble is because we, there has not been integrity about all those things. And I'm not even saying it's been intentional. It's just that's the, what happens. And so here's what I want, I want to kind of, I want to give this to you. And I hope you got the resiliency and the focus to do this. Leaders, here's the deal. You are culture creators. Whether you like it or not, you are culture creators. One leader told me this, he, and this came to me, and I'm going to pass it on to you. He told me, he says, Dave, you're going to get the culture you deserve. You're going to get the culture you deserve. And so I found myself, when I, when I have an honest conversation with leaders, I'll say, you know what? If you've been there three or four years at a local church and you don't like it, you don't like the culture, you know what's coming, right? At this point, it's probably your fault. And I mean, I've, I've been the same church. I mean, we've long time. I mean, if I don't like what's going on in the community, I mean, I got to own it. I got to own it. Now, I've, I've tried to apply these things at Community Christian Church, the local church that I lead. And I'll tell you, there are places where we still have a ways to go. And there's some of this too. It's not like you get it and then you and it's like check, you're done for the next 10 years. Like one of our key objectives again this year, okay, is talking about how we have to emphasize apprenticeship. I mean, we have, I've written two or three books on this stuff and, and we still don't get it. So I have to, we have to go back over and over and get it. So I have really tried and I'm with you in this battle. I am trying to apply this stuff. Now, by God's grace, there are some places where it's working. We have uh, you know, 12 different locations across the city of Chicago. Um, we actually now are actually beginning to apply it to microsites and microexpressions. We just started doing that this year. We have eight of those. Um, most of them in Chicago. Some are in other cities we're starting to do. And, and by the way, I would, I would tell you this too. Um, if there was ever anything you wanted to experiment with, if you ever had an, something you wanted to try, do it now. Do it now, because if it doesn't work, you know what you can say? Oh, COVID, COVID, <laughs> right? Blame, tell your board, sorry, you know what? It doesn't work anywhere, COVID. <laughs> Seriously, I'm gonna tell you, now is a great time. So I, I think this microsite thing's really gonna work for us, but it doesn't, you know, oh, COVID, you know, that's also what I saw. 
And then what happened is out of our church birthed this church plan network called New Thing. And, and it's just, it's staggering to, to see what God can do. And so I'm telling you, take this stuff, stick to it. And I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. Let me give you what I would say are the three kind of behaviors, three behaviors that I would love to see everyone do that will create culture, um, um, a, a multiplying culture. And here's the, here's the first one, all right? And the first one is this, and they're kind of like multiplying maxims. Number one, multiplication can start small but must dream big. It can start small, but you have to dream big. And that's the thing. I mean, you know what? If some of you are in this room, you're going, man, we only got like 25% of our people coming back. We only got 50% of our people coming back. Maybe you're just here with one person. You're with a dream. Or maybe you've got just a group of friends. All that's okay. Our founder started with just 12 folks. And it started small, but dream big. And here's what I, when I say this, when I say dream big, here's what I don't mean. What I don't mean is I don't want to, don't dream about how big your church can be. If that happens, that's awesome. But that's not what we're talking about. Don't dream about how big your church can be. Instead, dream about how big God's kingdom can be. How big his kingdom can be. And here would be, here's, here's, a, here's something that is, I think, different from leaders in the East versus leaders in the West. Not completely, but somewhat. I think the number one question that most of us in the West wake up thinking about, most church leaders, is this question right here. How can I grow my church? How can I grow my church? And I'll tell you, one of the blessings of COVID, I think, is this. It's going to drive all of us to a place of desperation where we know we need each other, and we're going to start asking a vastly better question, a kingdom-oriented question, and it's this. Instead of how can I grow my church? Here's the better question. You wake up every day and ask this question. How can we, you think about HCPN, how can we not just grow but multiply, not just my church or your church, but God's kingdom? God's kingdom. That was a good place to say amen. Where's my brother Terrence? Where is Terrence out there? Where'd he go? He was, he was wanting to know if I was going to hoop today. I, t I assured him I would not. But if I, if I could do it, that's where I would have done it. Okay? I don't know where he went. All right. So he got, that's the question we have to ask. Here's, here's one of the places where it really shifted for me. I, I remember I was in a workshop with uh, a guy named Neil Cole. And there was a time where, you know what, that's what I wanted. As a young leader, I wanted my church to be 1,000 people. Man, if I had 1,000 people in my church, whoo, boy, that would be a big deal. And I thought maybe I could speak well enough to attract 1,000 people or maybe I could organize well enough to get 100 small groups and 10 each, that'd be 1,000 people. So I'm in this workshop and he, uh, he says, I want you to take your current dream for your church and multiply it by a million. So 1,000 times a million, 1,000 times a million, help me out, somebody, 1,000 times a million, a billion, a billion. And then he said this, he said, now I want you to figure out how do you make that dream happen? And what he did is he forced me to ask a bigger question. Because instantly, when I said a billion people, which is a lot closer to Acts 1-8 than a thousand people in my church, right? As soon as I said a billion, I, I go like, wow, I'd have to work through lots of leaders. I would, I would have to multiply lots of churches. I would have to work across denominational lines. I would have to partner and I have to collaborate. I mean, all kinds of things begin to shift in my mind. And here's the thing you got to get. A big dream, and I think a God-sized kingdom dream, will always be about not what you can do, but what you can do through others. About what you can do through others. And let me just emphasize this. If you don't have a dream that is bigger than yourself, oh, I could grow my church to a thousand people. If you don't have a dream that's bigger than yourself, God's calling you today to get a bigger dream. And that bigger dream will force you into kind of kingdom thinking, which is where you need to be. And to have a multiplication culture. Here's a second multiplication maxim. Multiplication, I think, requires everyone to have an apprentice. Everyone to have an apprentice. I remember uh, early on in the life of community, one of, one of my early apprentice leaders was a guy named Troy McMahon. Troy's one of those guys, when he walks in the room, he's got a big personality, just a big personality. And and, and, and he did have a, kind of a unique gift. And so I, just, I grabbed a hold of Troy. I said, hey, Troy, why don't you be my apprentice leader in my small group? And so we started, you know, we'd meet just kind of like I did with Doug before that and uh, invested in him. And I mean, it was no time. It was, 
It was probably six months, and he was ready to go. And, and he started, took over that group, and I went and led a brand new group. Well, he not only led that group, but he did the same thing like Patrick, too. He started coaching groups because he reproduced groups. And when we went multi-site for the first time, it was Troy that I tapped on the shoulder. I said, hey, Troy, I'd love to have you be our first campus pastor or community pastor. So he left his job at General Mills, joined our staff team, even raised part of his own salary, and he started our first location. He actually started a couple different locations for us. And then there was a point in time where he, he said, came to me and said, you know what? I really feel like God's calling me to go plant a church in Kansas City. That's where he grew up. And I was kind of bummed because we, you know, we were really good friends, but it was clear that was the right thing. So we sent him and about 20 people from Chicago to Kansas City, and he, and he planted that church. I got to be at their 10-year anniversary not long ago. He had me come and speak, which was awesome. Okay? Because he had been apprenticed, and he had apprentices all along the way, right? We got to celebrate that that church had been around for 10 years, had started two different other networks in Kansas City, and helped plant 40 different churches. Is that awesome? Right there, huh? See, see, what, see what this multiplication... You know what? That, that didn't make my church a thousand people, but guess what it did for God's kingdom? They're all, that's right. There's a whole bunch of people that found and followed Jesus because of that. Let me give you a third thing. Multiplication, okay, is not about my castle. Here's the third one. You've got to get this. Here's the third behavior. It's not about my castle, but again, it's about God's kingdom. It's about God's kingdom. One of my favorite stories over the last, oh, it's probably been over the last... Oh, four years, five years or so, is a, a story, and this, this, isn't, this isn't a Bible story, and this isn't a story that actually comes from my own church planning experience, a little angular, is a story of Shalane Flanagan. We got any distance runners? Anybody likes to run cross country or run, run marathons? Anybody here in the room? Okay, just me, never mind. Um, this is Shalane Flanagan. Okay, let me tell you about Shalane Flanagan. Here's why she is so stinking awesome. Um, in 2017, it had been 40 years, think about this, it had been 40 years since an American... It actually won the New York City Marathon. Uh, it was always, you know, Ethiopians, always Kenyans, always somebody from Africa. Never an American. 40 years. In 2017, she wins the New York City Marathon. The New York Times wrote an article about her. Okay, this is the New York Times. And I want you to hear what they said about her. And I, I, I would call this, and I, I like this phrase, I wrote a book on this called, she's a hero maker. That's somebody who has a kingdom-building mindset. Look, look, look what they said. I want to read this to you. Here's what they said. New York Times about Shalane Flanagan after she won the New York City Marathon. When Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon last week, her victory was about more than just an athletic achievement. Perhaps Flanagan's bigger accomplishment lies in, think about leadership residence, think about apprenticeship, lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. It is a rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Imagine this. Every single one of her training partners, all 11 women in total on Team Nike, have made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, not only is she awesome, but if you get close to her, right, you do awesome stuff, and she makes sure of it. They call it the Shalane Effect. What, what's your name? Bobby. Bobby? How cool would it be if they had, like, a Bobby Effect, right? <laughs> Like, Bobby's awesome, but I'll tell you what, if you get close to Bobby, you're going to do awesome stuff. They call it the Shalane Effect. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. Shalane has pioneered a new brand of team mom to these young and up-and-comers. Listen to this, church leaders. Man, if we would be like this, okay? With the confidence not to tear others down or to try to protect her place in the hierarchy. That's a great example. Okay, so here's the story. So 2017, she wins the New York City Marathon, right? 2018, the Boston Marathon. No female American has won the Boston Marathon in 33 years. Again, it's always Africans, almost always, right? No female American has won it in 33 years in Boston. Who do you think wins the Boston Marathon? Talk to me. Not Shalane, good guess. Here's why I love this story so much. Shalane actually goes, and if you knew more about distance running, you might dig this even more. You can tell I'm totally loving it. Shalane actually goes to Des Linden. Now, Des Linden is this female runner who is phenomenal, but always came, came up short. She'd come in second or third or fourth in the big races. Shalane goes to Des, and she looks her in the eye and says, Des, this is your year. This is your race. 
the Boston Marathon 2018. Terrible conditions. Google it sometime to check it out. They run that marathon together. They run that marathon, almost the whole marathon together, so much so that when one of them had to stop to go to the bathroom, the other one stopped, so they'd stop together. Got back and ran it again. At the very end of it, Des Linden has this remarkable, remarkable kind of burst, and she actually wins the Boston Marathon to become the first female American to ever win it in 33 years after Shalane says, no, this is your year. Shalane's reputation now is starting to grow as being like a hero maker. Think of that in terms of kingdom building, okay, church leaders? She's focused on other people, and what can we do? So many women get inspired to start distance running that in the 2021 Olympic trials, okay, they have a time trial, there's a standard you have to meet, 500 women from the United States qualified for the Olympic time trials. Now you might be going like, well, I don't know, is that good or bad? Five, that is four times, four times as many as qualified in 2016. And everybody points back and they call it the Shalane effect. And then maybe, okay, why do I get so fired up about this? I think part of it, well, I can't, I'm going to get a little emotional. I have a daughter who two years ago, 2019, the last Chicago Marathon, we ran that Chicago Marathon together. And part of the reason I know is she was so wowed by Shalane Flanagan. Don't you want to be that kind of a leader? Because I'm telling you, one leader, look at that. That's such a great example. One leader, one leader who wants to do great things, but not just for themselves, but wants everybody, to bring everybody with them to do great things. That's what starts a movement. That's the stuff of culture. That's the kind of culture of multiplication. So I'll tell you what. I know, I know, you're, I know you're weary. I feel it, dude. I, I, I know you're distracted. There's so many different things, so many different fronts we're having to fight right now. But the thing we got we to, as God gives us the resiliency and as God gives us the focus, I think go back to your churches and how do we focus on creating multiplication cultures? Dream big. Make sure everybody has an apprentice. All right? And make sure it's not about your castle. It's about building God's kingdom. All right? All right. Love you guys. I think Chad's going to come here and wrap up. Thank you.